0: like shane willard you know i I ask i I say that very intentionally because um we actually really like him we we actually we actually do love the guy and i want to say to him and not just the not just the message not just the gift because it's really easy just to to want someone to be with you for their gift but we've had shane for nine years this year and and I don't know too many guest speakers that get asked back to the same place nine years in a row. And not only is he always fresh and always brings a fresh deposit of what God's, you know, doing in and through his life and his own journey, um, but he's a genuine lover of people. I want you to know, church, like New Hope Church, he's actually really invested in this place. He actually is genuinely interested in how we're doing He loves to see the growth and each year he comes back, he loves to see the changes, he loves to catch up with leaders that he's met before and people that he's met before because to him it's not just a platform to preach off, he actually really does love God's people and not just us but many, many churches have had the exact same experience. In a sense I'd say he's an excellent lover of people, he actually loves people. So we uh, we want to honour Shane today, not just for the message that he carries and that deserves all honour. Uh, he's a phenomenal communicator, phenomenal preacher, but uh, but Shane himself is a wonderful human being. Would you stand to your feet with me and let's honour him as he brings the Word of God to us this morning. <laughs> Thanks,
1: thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. You can be seated. It's uh, so good to be here with you today. It's always uh, one of my highlights of the year to be, it's New Hope Weekend for me. And so um, I love it. I love my friends, Chris and Sue. I honor them. I honor what they do. I honor who they are. I honor the effort they put in in discipleship and moving the world to a better and better and better place and participating with the um, infinite possibilities to be a part of fixing our world. And so, uh it's it's a joy to be uh with you. For those of you who don't know me, this is all I do for a living. I travel around and speak. I've had the amazing privilege of being mentored by a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training as well. So, my stuff comes from that. But I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So, I am qualified to sort your head out. So, careful what you say to me, okay? I can see through all that stuff. A- a- afterwards and in between the services, um our resource table is on that far wall. If you walk over there and can't find it, seek medical help. It's taking up the whole wall, okay? And if you wonder, mm, why would you carry that around with you? The reason is, is because we make a lot of money from it, right? And the reason we do that is because we live with a conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. So 100% of everything we've made from that for the last decade, we've given away to the poor and the afflicted. Namely, at this time of year, we give it away to three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha, which, by the way, is a four-hour drive from a place called Wuhan. I don't, I don't know if I need to explain why that's important. So... Um, we have a need, and um, we're going to continue to meet those needs and do everything we could do. And, and the way I do that is we sell audio and video downloads and USBs, um, and then we give the profit uh, to those guys because it's a good, good thing. You'll get something that will change the way you look at God, and, and I get something that helps me feed, close, shelter, educate mentally handicapped kids. I, I think it's a pretty good trade, right? So come on out there between. Let me give you, before we get going, let me give you an, an authentic invitation uh, back to the second service and tonight. And then 7 o'clock on Monday and Tuesday, we will honor your time. We'll be out by 8 o'clock. Um, it will change your life. If you come tonight, put aside an hour tonight. Come. Um, check it out. If it doesn't change your life, I'll personally refund whatever they charge you to come. Okay? So whatever that is, whatever the tickets cost, I'll give it back. Right? So it's, it's, it's a, like a risk-free thing. Now, uh, let me run one thing by you. I'm going to be doing brand new stuff. Um, I decided in November uh, to try to take on the book of Revelation. Right, because I'd gotten 500 questions about it, and I thought, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I'll just try to take it on. I did it because it's so easy to understand, right? And so, and so, we're going to be journeying through that. And um, I've already done six parts of it. Uh, four of those parts are available out there actually today. This is the first place it's available, and then the rest of it will be recording right here. Now, here's why that's important. Um, if you have a baby, I love your baby. I love you. Uh, the yeah, the the the. The one, the one thing you cannot edit out of a recording is a baby scream. Now, let me explain. Let me be very clear about that. That doesn't matter. A little bit of fretting, cooing, anything like that. Whatever, right? I'm talking about screaming, right? And let me, let me, let me, let me help you. If your baby screams, I'm not upset at you. I'm not upset at the baby. Do not panic. Do not put your hand over the baby's mouth and nose at the same time. It's dangerous. Do not choke the baby, nor put the baby in the headlock. It's just not the time to let it cry itself out, right? And so if it starts screaming, if you could just use calmly, calmly, collectedly, not in any panic, no one's upset, if you could just use the exit and use the parents' facility here until the babies calm down, that would be outstanding, and it helps us uh, with our recording. I hope everybody understands my heart in that, right? I love babies. I love you. I love, I just love life, right? Right? So, um, all right. So if 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 you're the type like likes to follow along in actual Bible, Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start there. I want to look at this amazing book. My goal when I speak is I want Jesus to get bigger. I want the cross to work better. I want the resurrection to be central. I want scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. And my goal with, with talking about the book of Revelation is that it comes alive. Any time you look at the Bible, you want to ask at least two questions. One, what happened? And two, and more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened. I want to open this morning by looking at the beginning and the end of Revelation because it actually begins and ends at the exact same place. And and, and that's because it was written by a Jewish guy named John who was tortured uh, by the Caesar uh, Domitian and exiled on the island of Patmos. Uh, legend has it, uh, no one knows if this is true or not, this is folklore, but but could be true, that that Domitian tried to kill him by boiling him in oil. Now, that would have been common practice of what you would do to Christians in those days. But, but, but folklore has it that Domitian tried to kill John and he survived. And the issue was, was that you don't want to try to kill him twice because if he survives twice, people will start to believe he has God on his side. So what you do is you get rid of people like this by exiling them on an island and John decides to write a letter to seven churches seven real people at real places at real time dealing with real Roman oppression and he's and he's encouraging them and here's what we're going to find that revelation mirrors our life that that, that there that, that revelation opens with a call to repent That just simply means to change the way you think. There's a new narrative. The Roman empire has been dominating the narrative and there's a new way to think about the world. And we're inviting you to embrace that, that the kingdom of this Christ will get the last word, not Domitian. And then there's a group of people who say yes to that. And then they meet horrendous tribulation and oppression and resistance. And then they're called to worship. And in their worship, they realize that they need to reaffirm God's way of looking at the world instead of Domation. And this happens over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. Sounds like my life, sounds like yours. And so Revelation is written by a Jewish guy and it's written in a chiastic structure. This is why if you've ever tried to figure Revelation out by putting it in a linear line, even if there's well-made charts all the way across the, 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 the stage, the reason that's frustrating is because John is a Jew writing in a chiastic structure. So you can't interpret a circular written book in a linear fashion it's not that you're wrong you're just going to frustrate yourself because you can't interpret it that way so revelation begins and ends at roughly the same spot and culminates in the middle and i want to look at the beginning and the end and talk about how revolutionary this idea was and then hopefully we'll find ourselves in, in the story what happened and more importantly what's happening in me right now because of what happened now this is revelation chapter 3 verse 20 here i am i stand at the door and knock If anyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with him and he with me. This was a radical statement of a new way to think about the world. The world at this moment was ruled by a guy named Domitian. Domitian was a horrible narcissist who controlled the whole world under one. Here was the the world in, in John's day, one world government, One world currency and the people who controlled the one world government and the one world currency was controlling how people bought and sold with that one world government's currency. This would have been horrendous for anybody under the underbelly. And there's a new narrative being offered. And this is the end of that new narrative. And it comes down to, he's talking about a new king. And this new king is described as someone who knocks at your door and waits for you to respond. This is diametrically opposed to how Caesar was running his empire. Caesar doesn't knock at your door and wait for you. If he wants in your house, he knocks the door down. He sends his military around the world to do forced confessions and forced conversions to what was called the propagation of the imperial cult, the idea that Caesar is god. That the Roman historians, by the way, who were paid by Caesar and if they didn't write what Caesar wanted, they would have died, said that Caesar is the fullness of god incarnate and no other name on earth by which men can be saved other than the name of Caesar. Is that sounding familiar to some things we've read in the scriptures, right? This was a- a diametrically opposed narrative, a God who waits for you to respond. And what does he want to do if you let him in? He wants to eat, which is unbelievable. In the Roman empire and in Jewish culture, to offer to share a table with somebody meant that you were admitting and acknowledging that they're of the same class as you. The God revealed in Christ Jesus is a God whose divinity was found by him choosing not to be God. He emptied himself, considering himself of no reputation. He did not consider equality of God something to be grass, but chose to take on the form of a servant. The highest form of God as revealed in Christ Jesus is a God who chooses not to be God to suffer with humanity in order to defeat death. And that is a beautiful narrative that we're being invited into, right? And it is it is the imagery of a table. Ev- evidently, God just wants to eat. So, so, so th- this is the, the, the question. How do I get to know God? And, and intimacy is defined by two things happening at once. One, to be fully known. And the other thing is to be fully accepted. If you're fully known and fully accepted all at once, you have intimacy. If you only have one or the other, you don't. You have something hiding. And there's a lot of people who are fully known, but they're not fully accepted. It goes something like this. This is who I am. Take me or leave me. Of course, most people will leave you, right? So you're fully known, absolutely, but you're not fully accepted. And then there's a whole lot of people who are fully accepted, but actually they're not fully known. They have a lot of secrets. And if those secrets came out, well, they wouldn't be fully accepted. So to have true intimacy, you have to have full knowledge and full acceptance going on at the same time. And this is what's being offered here by the new narrative. And the truth of it is, is how do I get, what must I do to be fully known and fully accepted by God? This was a question dominating the first century in Jewish culture. What do we do... To be fully known and fully accepted by God. And the New Testament Christians were rebelling against the old sacrificial system, and they insisted that Jesus did not die to forgive and solve the sin problem. Rather, he died to show you that the sin problem was taken care of before the foundation of the world. That Jesus did not die to inaugurate a new reality. He died to show you what God was always like from the beginning of time, and Invite us to embrace that narrative that's been going on since before the foundation of the world. Now, if that's the question then, then the answer is evidently all through scripture is that God just wants to eat. God is offering a meal, which some quick Bible stuff here. That's some politics. Now let's talk about the scriptures. What's going on in this story is Hebrew ideas. In Hebrew, a meal is a shul. Good job, whoever did this, right? I asked them for a bit of food on the table, and they took me seriously. This is a shul. A table is a shulkan. So you eat a shul on a shulkan. Now, here's the issue with that. In he, ancient Hebrew, they only but so many words. So one word could mean a lot of different things. So the Hebrew word for table, shulchan, is also the Hebrew word for reconciliation without one letter difference. There's not even a letter difference. It's table or it's reconciliation. It's also a lambskin. The reason is, is because Israel found its roots in Egypt and in Egypt, they didn't have any tables. So when they killed a lamb, they would clean the skin and spread out its picnic, like a picnic blanket. So the lamb skin was a table. Do you see now like with Psalms, it says, we all know that it's the blood of a slain lamb that brings reconciliation. It could easily have been translated. We all know it's the blood of a slain lamb that gives us a table to eat on. Translators had to decide, what's the is the context theological? Is the context social? What's going on here? And so you eat a shul on a table of reconciliation. You have related words, like the root word for forgiveness is shalak. Shalak is to forgive, but it literally means to remove weight. In other words, whatever's weighing you down, let's set it on the table of reconciliation so you don't have to carry it one more day. We're gonna remove that weight from your life. And how do we remove it? a table. The table was central in Jewish culture. Actually, next slide, the meal was primary even over worship. Now, that's interesting to think about. Listen to Jesus's words. This is Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled. The word in Hebrew would be table, shulkan, first and go be tabled, shulkan, reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. In other words, Jesus is saying, what good does it do for you to lift your hands and be a part of an amazing worship service if if the response to your meaningful experience with God doesn't reconcile you with people you have problems with? This happens again in Paul's theology. This this is what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's us, He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We quoted that our whole life. Here's the next verse. All of this is from God, who Shulkan reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what's the primary ministry of the church? Tabling, reconciling. The primary ministry of the church is letting people know there is an offer to wait, to take whatever's weighing you down and set it on the table. The Shulkan is central. That God, here's the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the definition of it. That God was reconciling who? Us? No. Is there any us in them? No. God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ choosing not to count men's sins against them. And then he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, what's the primary message of the church? The primary message of the church is that the sin problem was taken care of before the foundation of the world and you are now invited to eat. God just wants to eat with you. He wants to take whatever's weighing you down and let's set it on the table and let's be reconciled. And that is the Shulkan. And the Shulkan is central over worship. Paul mentions it later. He says, some of you have been sick because you have forgotten the body Of Christ. And he's talking about communion. He's not talking about the elements. He's saying you're taking communion, which is supposed to remind us that God is in the center of all things. It's supposed to remind us that any time there's a moment where we remind ourselves that Christ is the center of all things. We'll talk about that in a later message. It's in communion, but yet you're taking communion and there's still something against you and somebody else. We have forgotten the main message of the Shulkan. That was the point. And and this is a pattern in scripture. I, I just did a a simple word search for the word, for the use of the word table and shulkan throughout scripture, it's everywhere. Let me tell you a few stories about it. Like there was this guy named Abraham and he had an encounter with a guy named Melchizedek. And here was the context. Five kings were at war with four kings. In that day, that's called World War I, okay? Five kings are fighting four kings And Abraham is wondering, whose side should I take? And he encounters a king of peace named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek says, I have an idea. Let's not choose sides. Let's set out a meal and invite everybody to put their stuff away. And let's be reconciled. There's a guy named Jacob and a guy named Laban. And there's so much lying going on in this story. It's not even funny. Jacob tricks Esau out of his inheritance, which admittedly was mostly Esau's stupidity, not Jacob's. Jacob does lie to his father, pretending to be Esau to get the blessing. He ends up having to run from the situation, and then people start lying to him. There's a guy named Laban. He says, hey, work for me for seven years, and I'll give you one of my daughter's. People didn't live that long back then, right? And he says, all right, I'll do that. And then after seven years, Laban tricks him and gives him the wrong sister, right? Gives him the wrong woman, but but Jacob doesn't realize it till the next morning, which I don't know how much alcohol and mushrooms was involved to work for someone for seven years and you don't realize you're in the tent with the wrong woman? Come on, unless she was a twin, which is then a whole nother set of cool. But nonetheless, this was lying. Then he works another seven years for the right woman. Then he starts tricking Laban and there's this back and forth escalation. He ends up running from Laban. And then what happens is, is he's running from Laban. Laban's chasing him from one side. Esau gets word where he is and he's coming from the other. And this is a conflict sandwich. And then what happens is when they all get together, it could have been a clan war, but instead of that, they all looked at each other and they said, set the table and serve the food. In other words, all this that's weighing us down, let's set it on the table. Psalm 23, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In Jewish culture, that doesn't mean God's feeding you and not them. That's just more us and them thinking. Ridiculous. It's, hey, even when you're in the presence of someone you have conflict with, if you're paying attention, God will always make a way to reconcile with somebody that there's conflict with. God is a peace maker. There's, there's a story about a guy named David and a guy named Mephibosheth, which would you agree with me that if your mom named you Mephibosheth, you've already started behind the eight ball, right? Good Lord. And the story is, is that David ends up taking over the kingdom from Saul who died by suicide. So David takes over the kingdom. And custom in that day was, if a new king's lineage took over, you find all the possible heirs of the old king and you make sure they die so that they can't make an uprising. There was one guy left. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was crippled because when the whole takeover was happening, a nurse grabbed him thinking David would kill him. And she ran and fell on him and broke his legs. And with medical technology not being where it is today, he ends up crippled for life. And so David figures out where he is. Mephibosheth knows he's going to die. But watch David's response. This is 2 Samuel chapter 9. And the king asks, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? That is so, that's a person who has dealt with things in their heart to know that just because society says it has to be a certain way doesn't mean God says it has to be a certain way. And he's agreeing with a certain narrative that brings life, not death. It's not about right or wrong. It's about life and death. It's about wise and useful. And Ziba answered it. Well, there's still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, well, he's in the house of maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar, which is a play on words. Lodabar means the place of no bread. In other words, there's no shul. There's no shulkan. He's carrying the full weight of, of, his, of his handicap. He's carrying the full weight of his crippled feet. So King David had him brought from the place of no bread, from the house of maker, in, 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 uh, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down and paid him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, Your servant, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Hang on, he was the king. How much land is that? A lot. And you will always, here's the sentence, eat at my shokan. Whatever is weighing you down, Come put it on the table. I have every right to kill you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you kindness for God's sake. Come and put what weighs you down on the shulkan. Uh, there, there's a guy named, uh, there's this one time, there's this, there's this guy, this Jacob guy who had a history of lying. He ends up having 12 sons. You don't know how many daughters he has, doesn't mention his it, 12 sons. And, and 11 of those 12 sons, sell their brother into Egyptian slavery only to need him later to save their sorry behinds from an Israelite famine, right? And so they end up having to plead with him for mercy, even though they're the ones that sold him into slavery. And Joseph has a choice. Do I take revenge and kill them or do I show them mercy? Now watch Joseph's response. This is Genesis 43. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brothers and he sought a place to weep. Now think about this. If you're the 11 brothers, you're panicking at this moment, right? This guy's got the authority to kill you and you can hear him wailing outside the door. This is not a good sign, right? And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he says, serve the shul, serve the food. What would have happened in that instance is the Egyptian authorities would have been standing behind his brothers. Joseph would have come back into the room and there was one of two signals, which they all would have died, or let's reconcile. Joseph had every right to hurt them and take revenge, but he responded with a shulkan, serve the food. This will not weigh our family down one more day. We are putting this all behind us. The Shulkan was the answer for the conflict. There's, there's Passover. Passover is a weird, God hasn't spoken in 430 years. And his first time he speaks in 430 years is, is kill, he says, kill an animal and have a meal together. That is such an odd command until you understand what's going on. He's fixing to move them from slavery in Egypt to freedom. And it's going to be some time in the wilderness. Essentially, God says, before y'all get walking around out there, make sure you handle all your conflict in here. Before you get out into the wilderness, get it all straight here. Everybody's invited to the meal and get it all on the Shulkan before you go out there. Then they get into the wilderness and Moses disappears, which is quite anxiety provoking. Moses gets them into the wilderness and then he disappears. No cell phone, no pagers, no, no nothing. They don't know where he is. And so they create an idol to start worshiping in case the other tribes show up and say, Hey, there's no God protecting them. So here's what they do. They start creating idols to worship. Moses comes down and catches them worshiping an idol and he loses the plot, which was his pattern. He was a premeditated murdering sort of guy. I looked this way and that and seeing no one, I killed the man and hit him in the sand. The problem was the next day, the sand shifted. You got this leg sticking up out of the sand. Moses was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he changed the world right? Right? Because perfection and being mistake-free is never, ever, ever the issue. He loses the plot, melts the gold cow into powder, makes them drink it. He does all this stuff. And God's response is, I've had it. Get Nadab, Abihu, and the rest of the 70 firstborns up this mountain. Now, when you've been caught red-handed idol worshiping and God calls you up the mountain, what do you think is going to happen to you? You are so dead, bro. That would have been the slowest walk up that mountain ever. They, People would be, be stopping to use the toilet for no reason, anything to delay the inevitable. But watch God's response to this. Here's what it says. This Exodus 24. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a table made of sapphire, shulkan, clear as the sky itself, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and they drank, and they did not die. In other words, God's response to idol worship was, uh, you want y- to eat? You guys ready to put all that weight on something and put it behind us? What you see in the pattern in Scripture is, is that the mistake, the sin, it, it, never, it never seems to put God off wanting to eat with you. Never. Like this is where phrases we made up are hurtful. Like God can never be in the presence of sin. Really? It seems like all God does is engage disorder to bring order, chaos to bring creation. He enters into your mess and brings out new life, fresh starts, second chances, and the opportunity to write a better story. It's called resurrection. There's uh, another example, there's, Jesus, remember their big problem with Jesus was he had dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because in that world, to have dinner with tax collectors and sinners meant you were calling them of the same social class. He was declaring them clean. And the religious people are like, we're working real hard to be clean. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. God handled that before the foundation of the world. I'm not concerned about their mistake. I want to enter into their mess and bring out new life, fresh start, second chance. And so what better way to do that than to sit across a table where there's no weight?" Watch what he says. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, that's a tax collector, many tax collectors, that's his friends, and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. In other words, the message from the beginning has not been get yourself cleaned up and then come to God. It is that God is willing to enter into your mess and bring new life, fresh start, second chances, and new creation. How does he do that? There's a table waiting, and God just wants to eat. There's there's the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, the the, the disciples come to Jesus. They say, hey, there's 5,000 people. They're getting hungry, you know obviously a metaphor for a lot of people, right? No one was going one, two, three, four, right? Right? Jesus goes, Jesus goes, are are they hungry? The disciples say, yeah, 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 yeah. We probably need to call close to the meeting. He goes, no, 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 you give them food. Even when Jesus was preaching, his preaching centered around everyone knowing that the shul and the shulkan were available to them. Now to us, that just means I'm hungry. To them, that meant you're okay with me. You are okay with me, and I invite you to embrace your already— There is no ritual you can do to get okay with God. What you do is you engage the rituals to remind you that you're already okay with God. God just wants to eat. Remember there was this Canaanite woman? She was from Sidon, by the way. By the way, there were six scriptures, six Bible verses that says all Sidonites are cursed. All Sidonites, six Bible verses. If Jesus just wanted to be right about one Bible verse, the Sidonites were stuffed, man. And Jesus has this encounter with the Sidonite woman who wants to eat. The problem is, is Jesus's present company would not have allowed it. And she knows her, she knows her place. So instead of coming to the table, she kneels by the side. It's an actual beautiful story. And watch, watch what happens. She says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs, because they would have called the Sidonites the dogs. It was a racial slur. It'd be like using the N word or something. It's something no intelligent person would ever say. But even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. Watch what Jesus says. And Jesus says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed. From that very, in other words, I'm sitting with religious people who have the whole table and they still are trying to earn their way to okayness with God. But you, a Sidonite, understand that you don't even need the whole table. All you need is a crumb and God meets you the rest of the way. It's like a faith of a mustard seed. It's brilliant. In, in, in the rich man and Lazarus, remember what's happening in that story? Jesus is sitting at a table with rich people refusing to share their food. They're refusing to shulkan with poor people. Why? Because to shulkan with poor people meant you would be admitting that they're the same class. And he says, hey, we got a lot of extra shul here. We got a lot of extra food. What do we do? There's all these poor people outside. And remember remember the rich people said, we don't eat with people like that. And Jesus said, is that your final answer? And they said, yes. He said, oh, but the kingdom of God is like a shepherd with a hundred sheep that goes outside the gate to get them. It's like a lady with law. Oh, oh by the way, um, when, when rich people overlook poor people sitting outside of their gate in the afterlife, they're the ones that end up in hell. The whole story around that was a failure to acknowledge the call for the ministry of reconciliation, the Shulkan. It was people refusing to reconcile. In John 21, remember this is after Jesus died and rose again. He shows up on the beach and finds some people who had betrayed him in his time of need. They had run for the hills and one guy had actually cursed his name three times. And what was Jesus' response? Hey, you got some fish? I, I, I want to cook you breakfast. Anybody want to eat? And I'm sure they were like, well, but we ran. We denied you. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you still love me after all this? Yeah, yeah. Then let's just eat. Let's, let's take all that weighs you down and put it on the Shulkan. Now back to the book of Revelation. Here's the end of the book of Revelation. This is Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, if anything's the personification of discipleship, it's that. That, that Christianity is not about passively sitting on your butt waiting to go somewhere else. It's about waking up that every day actively becoming more and more what God has called you to be. It's what that song said, that our life is a response to that great love. It's not doing something to earn the acceptance. The acceptance was already done before the foundation of the world. It's when you profoundly connect with that, you can't help but be teachable and move forward into a better version of what God has called us to be. And watch watch what happens. Next slide. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. These are the true words of God. So the Bible begins and ends with an invitation to eat, regardless of mistake, regardless of sin, regardless of weight, regardless of failure, regardless of shame. The invitation of revelation And the entire narrative of scripture is that your sin and your failure and your shame was settled by God before the foundation of the world for all people. And all people are now being held together by this risen Christ. And we are invited to Shulkan. And we have been given the ministry of Shulkan, which is God is reconciling the whole world to himself through Christ Jesus by choosing not to count their sins against them. This is the message of the church. Which leads me to this final scripture from Revelation 22. This is how it all ends. Down the middle of the great street of the city, each, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. In other words... Heaven, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, hell's been destroyed, all things have been made brand new. God is now one with the earth, and there's still an offer every day outside the throne of God to come and eat. The message from the beginning to literally the end is God just wants to eat. God wants to eat and he wants us to take that message, not in an us and them way, but in a Christ is holding the whole world together way. Your theme for the year is come together. It's literally that. It's when people come together and remind ourselves that this is the story. The story is the table and the table is the story. That the weight, the sin, the shame, none of it. it's god just wants to eat which leads me to these questions when is the last time you responded to the lord knocking maybe he's knocking and you haven't answered and the reason is is you're worried he'd be ashamed and you'd be ashamed of what he'd find but what you find in scripture is that god never asks us to clean our house he engages our disorder to bring order he engages our chaos to bring creation he engages our mess the weeds and the wheat grow together and he engages the crop and he brings order and beauty and new life and fresh starts and second chances all the way back from Genesis one and ending in Revelation 22. What are you scared of? Turns out the message of the gospel is God just wants to eat. Forget the ritual. Rituals have their place as long as they're reminding you of what's already true. But it's when rituals become the thing that make the truth. It becomes religion, idolatry, terrible, oppressive, horrible thing. The message of New Hope Church in Toowoomba is the ministry of reconciliation, that God is moving the whole world to a table. Let's say it this way. Number three, are you committed to the reconciliation of all things or just your own salvation? This is something Isaiah referenced. He says, it is but a light thing that you call Jehovah God. But the heavier thing is that you be my salvation for the whole world, that, that, that Christianity is not an exercise in individual salvation. It is an exercise in collective coming together community, celebrating the Shulkan and the invitation to be reconciled. Number four, who do you need to cook breakfast for? It, it, Jesus cooked breakfast for the people who abandoned him in his time of need. What did they do to you? M- maybe the best way we could show the love of Christ to the world is to show the world what it looks like to eat together. If an outsider ever looks at our conversation, may the Christ that holds us all together be glorified more than we need to be right about any one thing. May we show them love and compassion by exemplifying in our world the message of reconciliation. May we bring what weighs us down to the Shulkan. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We proclaim your king. If you're here today and there's something weighing you down, I would invite you to bring it to the table. Bring it to the table of the Lord and leave it there. You're more than welcome. If you're here and you've never accepted what's been true since before the foundation of the world, you've never walked into that reality, you're actually living in an illusion. And you say, you know what, I want to, I believe that Jesus's version of my life story is better than the one I've been writing on my own. And and, and I wanna bring it, I wanna bring my life to that table. You can make that decision today. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for letting me be your guest today. I really enjoy my time here. You're awesome. I hope Jesus got better. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better. The resurrection is central. Hope scriptures got bigger, not smaller. Hope we have a little bit better understanding of what revelation and the whole narrative of the gospel is about. May you, my brothers and sisters, be blessed to know that you serve a God who believes in you more than you believe in Him. May you not just be about your individual walk into heaven, but rather may we carry the message and the ministry of the Shulkan to our entire world. Until I see you later, grace and peace, everybody. God bless.
0: Thanks, Shane. Come on, let's really give it up for Pastor Shane. That is so good. Let's stand on our feet and... uh, so good. So uh, freeing. And I, I just want to finish, I guess, today uh, with an opportunity. As Shane said, you know, maybe you've you've never come to the table. Maybe you've never understood God in that way. It's okay. Probably most of us in this room, even having a relationship with God and walking with God, you know, that, that clarifies things for us. But if you're here and your journey hasn't included really, a, I guess, a a moment where you've intentionally connected your life with the life of God, then I want to give you that opportunity this morning, just as we close the service. And in a few moments time as a church, we're all going to pray a very simple prayer together. I'll get the team to put it on the screen. And uh, and it's just simply a prayer of dedication and commitment, committing our life to Christ. And uh, But maybe you're here today and you've You've never had the opportunity or you've never taken the opportunity in a moment like this just to do that, to very intentionally reach out to God and allow Him. Open the door of your heart and literally uh, sit down at the table with Him. Well, friend, I want to encourage you. You have a, a fantastic opportunity to do that today. It's not about joining a church. It's not about getting religious. It's its literally about receiving God's offer to uh, to lay down the guns and sit down and uh, and and spend time with Him. And so I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to ask everyone if you could bow your heads right now and just close your eyes. And um, if you're in this place and you'd say, Chris, that's sort of my journey. I've known a bit about God or maybe I haven't known a bit. Maybe I've known a lot and I've wandered away. But right now today, I know that I need to very intentionally connect my life to the life through Jesus Christ. I need to open my heart and allow him in. Friend, if that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are, right where you are. I'm looking for you and I'll acknowledge it and you can put it down. Yep, God bless you. That is awesome. Others in this place and you know you need to do that. I'm not going to prolong it, but friend, this is an incredibly important moment for your life. And I'd encourage you, don't, don't miss the opportunity. If you're here and, and you just know in your heart of hearts, you know you need that sense of connection with God. You want to experience that forgiveness that comes from Him, then simply raise your hand. Fantastic. Yep, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So let's pray this prayer together. And as you responded today, if you're one of those people that responded and, and you know that that's what you need, then I encourage you just make this prayer your own, just use it to express the faith that you're sensing in your heart right now. Let's pray together, church. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life life. and And I will follow you. you. Amen. 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 That's fantastic. Why don't we encourage people who made that decision this morning? That is life changing. Uh, For me, it's, it's 30 something years ago now. I was a young man of 21. Hasn't always been the easiest journey following Jesus, but I've never regretted one moment of it. And so I want to encourage you. And, and we as a church want to encourage you. We feel the best way we can do that is to put a copy of uh, of Scripture into your hand, get give you your own Bible, and you begin reading that Bible and allowing God to speak to your heart. So these are available at our Connections desk out in the foyer and uh, along with some other little tracks and things in there that will just help you read your Bible and get the most out of it. Uh, if you need to talk to someone about the decision you've made, please feel free to to talk to them or a friend that brought you along today and that would be fantastic. Uh, after the service, of course, we have our coffee, our cafe. I want to remind you uh, that we've got Pastor Shane's table out there. So if you want to grab a hold of some of this incredible teaching, then, uh, then I encourage you to do that. Don't forget, uh, if you haven't contributed towards our guest speaker, towards Shane's life and ministry, would you do that the uh the f is available in the foyer to you as well?